Brother Mark told me I could sit wherever I pleased, so I chose to sit up here, not to, not to be seen, but I have discovered something. I do not know who did it, but somebody has gone throughout the entire city a bowling green everywhere I've been and raised all of the stair steps about a half an inch. I don't know who did it. I don't know who the culprit is, but I tend to kind of trip on them. So I decided I didn't want to trip and fall in front of you. I just sit up here. Hi, how are you? It's so great to see you. I promised myself that I would not go on and on about uh, that about how wonderful it was to be here and to be among you today. Janie and Granny send their uh, greetings to you. We appreciate so much all of your uh, concerns and all of the prayers that you have said for us. And we have tried to reciprocate. I told Steve Barr a while ago that one thing I'm grateful for, and that is the, the virus can't keep us from praying for each other. And I, I appreciate your prayers, and I, I pray for you. I get, to, I get to look at the online directory two or three times a week. I just kind of go page by page uh, looking at folks, reminding myself of you and, and uh, praying for everybody, but praying especially for those who've had some uh, unique needs over the last little while. Thank you for being here, and thank you for uh, to the elders for giving me this opportunity to preach. I, I am so sorry for the hardship that Lawrence and all of his family are undergoing just now, but I am grateful to be uh, with you today to preach. Sort of uh, coincidental kind of thing. This, uh, your reading, uh, most recent reading as I understand it, is from the Sermon on the Mount, Brother Mark read from the Sermon on the Mount in his welcome, and we're going to be teaching and preaching from the Sermon on the Mount. So I invite you to turn to Matthew 6, Matthew the 6th chapter, and we're going to talk uh, about things in verses 24 through 34. Let's read it together. It's the Word of God. It's the Word of Jesus Christ Himself. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that Solomon, even in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, 
O ye of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, <clears throat> saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You know, as I look back over history, it's been apparent that uh, we've had time and time and time again kings and rulers, despots and tyrants, who have sought to rule their kingdoms with force and brutality, striven to drive people to fear, oppress them. We can think of ancient Egypt as an example of that in regard to the Jews. In our most modern times, the young people may not be so keen to this, but those of us who are a bit older remember the Hitlers and Stalins and Lenins of this world. Maybe you even, even more recently have heard of Pol Pot and Idi Amin. These are all dictators. I googled uh, dictators and despots and tyrants and it's interesting, I found uh, one, I found a chart, and I found they had their name and their picture there. They had what country they were in, and then they had a column for how many people they had killed during their reign. And uh, it was dismaying, to tell you the truth. But I am so glad, and what this passage we've read reminds me of, is that Jesus Christ does not rule his kingdom by fear and oppression. Jesus came to seek the lost, to save us, and to give us peace. The scripture tells us, Isaiah, for example, that he will be the prince of peace. The angel heralded his birth, peace on earth. Jesus came to bring us peace. He does not secure his kingdom. He does not seek faithfulness, as it were, by oppression and fear. And anybody can see that just from reading the passage that we have just read. Now, I don't have to tell you that all of us struggle, all of us worry at some time or the other, and maybe a lot of sometimes or the other. It's self-evident, and I appreciate that fact. I, I worry. I struggle with it uh, every day. Probably most mornings I get up and have to think about some of these points we're going to make to get myself on the right track. So it doesn't escape any of us. Nobody is so privileged that they don't have any worries. Our young people, our college agers, moms and dads, we all struggle. Older saints struggle. Our elders, our deacons, our teachers, they all deal with uh, difficulties in the choices they make and how they lead and teach people. Employees struggle, employers struggle. It doesn't matter. In any category you can think of putting people in, they struggle. They have cause for anxiety. 
But Jesus came to teach us not to be anxious. He came to teach us uh, that we ought not worry. Now, this is like all other things that God commands us to do. We have to work at it. We have to grow in it. We don't start off at a level we hope to achieve a year, two years, 10 years down the line, but it doesn't matter how many years down the line. There's so many things that we do not conquer absolutely. We have to work at and teach ourselves and discipline ourselves over and over. And this area of, of worry and anxiety is one of them. Jesus came to give us contentment. And I want to suggest to you here in this reading, uh, in verse 24, we need to get this settled right at the beginning. We cannot serve two masters, verse 24 says. We'll either love the one, hate the other. We cannot serve two masters. And the sooner we get that in our heads, the sooner we will uh, begin to strive to serve God. Uh, we, we have it to weigh, okay? Am I going to follow money? Am I going to follow mammon? Am I going to follow material things? Am I going to follow the thoughts and the ways and the philosophies of men? Or am I going to submit myself under the rule and righteousness of King Jesus? Am I going to follow him? That's one of the first things we have to do. And until we get that settled, we'll forever be torn between the two. If we don't decide one or the other, then we will never be free of anxiety. We'll never find contentment. And very obviously, uh, I'm hoping that we all come down on the side of God because in God, there is contentment. In God, anxiety can be taken away. And that's what I want us to think about in this hour. I know that's what, uh, what Jesus is teaching us here. He said, don't be anxious about your life, verse 25. He, uh, he said, why are you anxious about clothing? Verse 28, do not be anxious, just simple, straightforward words, verse 31. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, verse 35. You'd almost get the idea that Jesus doesn't want us to be anxious, wouldn't you? From reading this text. That's exactly the case. And so uh, what I want us to look at are some of the truths that Jesus teaches us to help us overcome anxiety. And I don't, I'm not, I don't mean to be glib about this. I don't mean to spout these off like the Pharisees might have expecting you to do them while I ignore them. You can't be glib about the painfulness of the situations that bring about our anxieties. We already said a minute ago, I, I suffer these pangs of fear and, and, and the feelings of insecurity. You suffer them. Everybody does. So uh, these things are going to help us. I don't mean if, if you read these with me now that suddenly all of your problems are going to fade away. They're not. As we've already said, we have to work at this. We have to read these principles over and over. We have to study over and over again. Paul told 
the Ephesians, I think it was, to speak the same things to you is not grievous for me, and it's helpful for you. So even though we know things, we need to hear them again and again. And I want us to look at some truths here that Jesus gave us. Obviously, they're important. Obviously, he knows that we need them or he wouldn't have given them to us. Now, there are about seven of them. And uh, I know that sounds like a bunch and we need to speak in a timely fashion. But uh, two things. Number one, we'll go through them uh, fairly quickly. Uh, we're not going, each one of them could be a lesson or maybe several lessons. We'll not do that, of course. But then there's another thing. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's the outline here from uh, those passages we have read. You can go home and read this as much as you like and bring those principles back to your mind again and again. And you can cogitate on them. You can meditate. You can mull them over at your leisure. I just want to bring them to our attention. The first thing that I want to suggest to us as we strive to overcome anxiety in our lives is found in verse 25. Jesus said, life is more than food or clothing. You know, Jesus sometimes teaches us and uh, impresses upon us things that really we probably already know and just don't think about enough. All of us know that life, there's more to life. Life is more than just what we eat and what we put on our bodies. Now, these things are important, not as important as we make them, though. Uh, food, it's good. I like it. Somewhere along the way, if you don't eat, you die. It's important. I like food. It, it gives you health. Clothes, on the other hand. Clothes uh, comfort us. They protect us from the cold and from the heat. So clothes are important. God clothed Adam and Eve. Clothes are important. But you see, uh, what we get so wrapped up in about our clothing is, is how it makes us fit in with our peers. And if our peers are wearing this, that's what we want to wear. And we get anxious about that because I'm not going to be accepted if I don't wear this. That's a problem with clothes. It, there, clothes can be status symbols and make us look good uh, among our peers. So these two things can be problematic, can't they? But what you and I know is that they are not, not to occupy all of our mind and all of our thought. If we've done what Jesus said in verse 24, if we made our choice to follow God, th this passage, did you notice verse 25 begins with, therefore, therefore. Uh, he's basing what he says in verse 25 and on through the text on what he said before. And he said, that we can only serve one master. We need to make our choice. We need to make it God. And we need to bring our lives in conformity to what he wants. When, when mammon, when clothes, when cars and houses, when each other and the pleasures of life, when they get the upper hand, when they get the most attention from us, then we fail to make Life, the rich thing that God intends for it to be. It's not that 
leaving off our anxieties and concerns is going to cost us being obsessed with them, being concerned with them. That's going to be the costly thing because then we rob ourselves of the abundant life that Jesus has for us. Then we, we rob ourselves of the rich food of God's word that can build us up. You die without, you die without beans and taters. I'll tell you, you really die without the word of God. And so life is more than food and clothing. Life is, is loving God and having him love us. Life is enjoying God and having him enjoy us. Life is serving each other and God and having him serve us. What greater service could he have done us than to send his son to this world? So life is more than food and clothing. That's a thing to get fixed in our minds as we deal with the anxieties from day to day. In the second place, this text tells us, and Jesus reminds us of something. Surely it is a reminder. Surely we know this already, but he reminds us of it. It must be important. He says, we are of more value than birds and flowers. We mean more to God than birds and flowers. And he takes a lot, pays a lot of attention to the birds and the flowers. He feeds the birds, doesn't he? He dresses the flowers. Look at a couple of the verses here with us. Look at verse 26, if you will. Look at the birds of the air, Jesus says, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into the barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the point. Are you not of more value than they? And then jump down to verse 28. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, and here's the point now, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? We're more valuable to God than birds and flowers, and he takes care of them, do we Think he'll not take care of us? Jesus came to establish his kingdom, we said earlier, in peace, in serenity, in contentment. He didn't then walk off to leave us. He is ever with us. And he will take care of us. Then there is uh, another point. And this one is so self-evident that it surprises me that Jesus used it. But I think, I think the reason he did that is because we obviously, even though it is so evident, don't pay as much attention to it as we ought to. Jesus, and I, I can't question him, thought that this was an important point to make. And it's in verse 27. And it says, which of you by worrying can add a cubit to his stature or an hour to his life. Uh, uh, various translations put it either way. I, we don't have to settle that. The point is, it, you're not going to get any taller by worrying and you're not going to live any longer by worrying. 
I don't have to, we, we don't have to uh, belabor that, do we? Let, let, me, let me just say this to you. You've gone to bed. You have laid there all night, most of the night so far, without sleeping. There's something on your mind. There's something troubling you. You toss and you turn and you tumble until the sheet's just a twisted up ball. You get up and you go get a drink of water and you go back to bed. Same story. You get up and you go to the bathroom. Come back, go to bed. Same story. Sound familiar? You, uh, you go back finally and you get to bed maybe, maybe about uh, 6 o'clock. And at 7.30, the alarm jars you awake. You haven't had probably an hour's sleep the whole night long. But, now here's, here's the thing about that. But when you look round about you and when you think about things, voila, all of your troubles are gone, right? You have worried them away. You have unslept them away, right? Well, surely <laughs> we, we've all done that, haven't we? And we've all gotten up to the same troubles and probably more because of our sleeplessness and we walk around like zombies. So that point ought to be done. Anxiety just simply has no power for good. In our, it has power but it doesn't have any power for good in our lives. Then anxiety makes us like unbelievers, like unbelievers. Uh, the Lord came and uh, taught us to believe in him, taught us out of our faith to be buried with him in baptism and saved us from our sins and uh, made us sit in the heavenly places uh, scripture tells us, Ephesians tells us that. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And, and uh, he has differentiated us from the believers. He has called us out of the world, not that they couldn't have responded, but they haven't. The, uh, the unbelievers of Jesus, and Jesus calls them Gentiles here because a Gentile was anybody who was not a Jew. And the Gentile was not in a covenant relationship for God. So in that first application, it had to do with Jews and Gentiles. In our day and time, it's my belief, the application of this principle has to do with believers and unbelievers. And we believers look just like the unbelievers when all we do is worry about food and clothes. When we worry again and again and again about the things that they worry about. It makes us unbelievers because anybody who worries that much lacks faith. And in fact, Jesus said that here, didn't he? Oh, ye of little faith. That's the problem with worry. It's done by people of old little faith. Jesus used the Gentiles a number of times. I'm thinking especially of the good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan, when you think about it, 
shamed the Jews, didn't he? In, in the story of the Good Samaritan, the priest and the Levite ignored a man who was nearly dead. The Good Samaritan came along and picked him up and took him and cared for him and paid for it. And on his way back home, would stop and pay for it, he told the man. You know how bad the Jews hated the Samaritans? Samaria is just north of Judea. And if you wanted to get anywhere north, you had to go through Judea to get there very quickly at all. You know what the Jews would do? They would go east and cross the river Jordan and go up on the east side of Jordan to regions north of Samaria. That's how much they hated the Samaritans. And so when Jesus uses this story of the good Samaritan to reproach the Jews, among other things, he's doing a mighty, mighty prickly thing as far as they're concerned, isn't he? The Roman centurion whose servant Jesus healed, he said to that man, I've not seen such faith in all of Israel. What do you think the Jews thought about that? The Canaanite woman who wanted her daughter healed so badly. Jesus said to her, great is your faith. So if we're going to worry like the people who serve only idols or like the people who serve no gods, if we're going to worry like they do, what does it say about our faith? And how can we have any influence over these unbelievers to save them? How different are we than they? The gospel saves. Do we believe the gospel? Are we, are we going to go before these unbelievers with all their worry and concerns, with our worry and concerns? How can we tell them that Jesus provides a remedy for that and came to give us peace? And then Jesus said something else here. He said that God knows what we need. Verse 32. Verse 32, God knows what we need. What do we think? Now think about God. Do, do we think he doesn't know what we need? An omniscient being doesn't know what we need? A being who, who had his prophets tell the future centuries from their present moment. And it all came true. Do we think such a God does not know our deeds, or maybe we think he doesn't have the power to meet our needs. And then we wonder about omnipotence, don't we? How can he be all powerful if he cannot give us food and clothing? Or do we think that maybe he's not a loving father? He doesn't love us enough to take care of us. And we all know that isn't true. Anybody who gave up his own son to die for us, who had to hear his son cry out in agony from the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I would not dare to say that such a being does not love me. Listen, later in this same Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, Jesus will say, you earthly fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more then? Does your heavenly father know how to do that? Well, one little side point just here. Somebody always asks, well, if God already knows 
what we need? Why in the world should we have to ask him? Why should we pray to God? Well, first of all, prayer is much broader than asking God for things. But uh, the, the simple fact of the matter is prayer is not telling God some information that he doesn't already have. If I can just put it succinctly, prayer is a confession to God that we need him. Prayer is, is about me telling God and acknowledge to God his all-powerfulness, his sovereignty. Telling God that I need him, that I have no power upon my own to deal with the complications of this life, much less the hereafter. Listen, Jesus said, I'm the vine and the branches. And along the way in, in that parable, uh, he says, whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And until we get that into our heads, we're going to fight against God all of our lives. When we think that we are going to solve our own problems, we're going to just, we're going to live in sweat and worry and tears. Because God knows what we need. And we need to ask him because we need to confess his greatness. Then, this text also teaches us that God provides for those who seek his kingdom first. We, we sometimes sort of uh, go back and forth on what the word kingdom here means. And uh, I'll start by just saying that the very basic fundamental meaning of the word kingdom uh, is the kingship that a king has, his right to rule, his right to reign, his sovereignty, his ruling power. That's the, that's the bottom meaning of, the basic meaning of the kingdom. And I believe that's what it meet, means here. And I believe that, that what this passage is telling us, the point that Jesus wants to get is, get across to us is that until we can bring ourselves under the rule and the, the reign and the power of God, my machine is telling me that it's time to hush and I'm trying to hush the machine. We can't live by, it's still not doing it, is it? Okay. Dismissed. That'll show it. I don't like I don't like cell phones anyhow. I don't turn mine on most days, but occasionally I do. But here's the thing about God providing for those uh, who seek His kingdom for and His righteousness first. I, I think the simple point is is that God blesses those who strive to come under his rule, who put themselves under his rule, who acknowledge him who, as we said in the, in the very first verse, verse 24, which we begin with, who chooses God over mammon, over any other thing. 
That's what I believe this is talking about. Whoever will submit to the rule and the reign of God. Whoever will seek to put on his righteousness and strive to live by his goodness and shape ourselves and fashion ourselves after, after the goodness and the joy and the peace and the love and the compassion of Jesus Christ. Those are the ones upon whom God shows compassion. The people of his kingdom. There is, there is no one and no thing to take priority in our lives over God. In, in uh, First Peter, in the fifth chapter and the seventh verse, is that, that beloved passage where the text says we can cast all of our anxieties on God all of our anxieties because he cares for us. What in the world uh, sense does it make to cast our cares upon him and then think we have to carry them all? Doesn't mean we don't have responsibilities, work and earn our living. Jesus teaches us to ask for food and uh, that, that doesn't mean give us this day our daily bread and we go sit on the doorstep and wait for the milk, bread, and eggs to fall out of the heavens. Even when that did happen with the manna and the quail, I, I, the Jews had to gather. They still had to do some work. I assume they dressed those quail. Feathers don't taste very good. They had to follow God's regulations. There still were some human responsibilities even in that. So I'm not suggesting all of this, that we don't work that we don't strive to earn our living. God will give it to us. God puts the power in the seed. God puts the power in the earth. And we can talk all we like about God not helping us. I did the plowing. I did the planting. But unless God had put that life in the seed and put that power in the soil, we'd not have any crop whatsoever. And then one final thing. Live for today. Don't be anxious for tomorrow. That's another principle Jesus gave us. And that's another one that's self-evident, isn't it? Why? Because we can't live tomorrow today. We're living today. We're grappling with the things today. And we are so blessed that God is helping us grapple with the things today why should we worry about the things tomorrow? Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. And when we get there, God will help us then too. Listen, God is eternal. He's not going to die between today and tomorrow. He's not going anywhere. He's not going to get out of earshot of our prayers. He can hear us wherever we are. God is not going to stop loving us. His love is unending. He'll never become callous to our needs. So just live today. Handle it with the strength and the blessings and the grace that God gives to us. And then let him do the same thing tomorrow. So much of our worry is about the future. What's going to happen to me tomorrow? Am I going to get this disease? Am I going to get laid off at the job and over and over again? And, and I, want to, I want to say, I'm not trying to be glib about these things. They are serious matters. But I'm saying that we need to pledge our allegiance to God. We need to choose him over mammon 
and he'll help us live our lives. This, this passage is so plain to us, isn't it? It's clear. Jesus wants his people to be at peace. He wants his people to, uh, to get rid of all of the anxiety and fret and worry and fear that, that seems to possess us so often. He wants us to have peace. He wants us to be free and to be content. And, and maybe, maybe we ought to end with this passage. Obviously, I plan to. The Lord, Paul said to the Philippians, is at hand. He's not far away, as Paul said, over in what? Acts 17, he's near to every one of us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Listen, folks, I don't care what our circumstance is, how hard it is, how painful it is, how grief-stricken we are in it, there is always something to be grateful and thankful for. I, I, sometimes, I can't ever read this passage that I don't think about something that happened nearly, nearly 50 years ago now. Doesn't seem like Joel ought to be nearly that old. But, but Joel was born on Saturday morning. My dad died on the next Sunday morning. So what do I do? give myself exclusively to grieving about my father or do I rejoice over a new little baby boy at our house? You see, whatever comes to us, there's always something to be thankful. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known. And then the kicker is this, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you want this peace? Do you want this freedom from anxiety? You've got the resources to bring that about in Jesus Christ. Like every other thing for us Christians, it all happens. All spiritual blessings, Paul said to the Ephesians, are in Christ. God has blessed us with them. If you want those blessings, if you're an unbeliever and don't yet have those blessings, believe in the Lord Jesus. He died and arose that you and I might live again. Come and be baptized. Do you have faith? Then be baptized and put on Jesus Christ. Get into Christ and then live your life for him. If if you, if you are a Christian and you've gotten so bogged down in this world, maybe you've turned to it in love. I don't know. Maybe it's just pulling at you and you're fighting it right now and you want us to pray about it. You can let us know that too. Any, anything that you need, you let us know while we stand and while we sing.